Hello, you're listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. The following audio is from one of our YouTube videos. You can find the full length of the video at youtube.com slash spirit. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy. It's finally time. I'm so excited about this. After several weeks of delay, I'm finally here to start giving my thoughts on the Mushoku Tensei Jabba's Reincarnation novel series. Yes, it took me a while to actually get the novels, and I'm still working on getting all of them because Seven Seas... Get your act together. Start printing these things. We want to buy them. But additionally, it's been very difficult for me to focus on actually getting this stuff done. And as I'm reading it, I'm just taking down tons of notes. There's a lot of stuff in here that I really want to talk about from a perspective of somebody that's watched both the anime and the novel series itself. Of course, what you'll find when you read novels is that you're going to get a lot of different context added to it. Stuff that gets kind of on the cutting board as it goes to the anime, which I personally don't really mind. I, I do hate it whenever there's something that's significant in there that's lost, but typically when you're trying to keep the pacing right with an anime, you don't want to have, you know, five minutes of inner dialogue in the middle of a conversation. It just doesn't work. For some reason, they do it a lot <laughs> with novels, but it doesn't translate to an actual scenario. I mean, a great example I give a lot of people is Higehiro. In the later episodes of that anime, they actually tried to get all of the characters' inner dialogue inside of a conversation between four people. And it doesn't look good because everybody's just sitting there staring at the main character as he's going through this 10-minute thing about all that he wants to say. It just doesn't translate. So yeah, because of that, I'm only about halfway through this as of the recording of this. I probably will finish this today, but it's a lot to really take in, a lot of differences that I'm really expecting. So that gets me into what to expect with this video series that I'll be doing for Mashoka Tensei the novel series. Again, this is from perspective of somebody that's watched the anime, the whole first season of it. So full on spoilers will be pretty much open for the first anime season. My whole perspective here is to get what is different in the novels and yeah, sometimes things that can actually foreshadow what we've already seen in the anime. But my main focus of this video series is to really get into, yes, what was cut before it went to the anime, some stuff that was in the novel series that unfortunately got removed, things that are emphasized in the novel that I don't think was emphasized enough in the actual anime. And a general idea of my thoughts between the two of them. But again, the warning that I have here is that if you've only been reading the novel itself, you're probably going to get some thoughts on how things can actually be perceived at this point versus the anime itself and what they've adapted. I don't think I'll get into anything specific, but I just want to put that warning in there. Honestly, a difficulty that I kind of faced while reading through this was kind of get an idea of where I wanted to stop and do videos for it. I already knew really quickly within the first few chapters that I was always like, I have a ton to talk about already. So I'm going to try to segment them into about 10 minute segments and do them in parts. So hopefully that will work out for people because again, I just want to talk about this stuff and I don't want to worry about a time frame that I have to really work with. Lastly, before we get started, I do want to emphasize that I'm really at this point don't know what I'm going to do once I get caught up with the anime. My original intention was to only read up to the anime itself and then stop. But if enough people do enjoy this video series and it gets enough traction and I am, I'm probably going to be invested enough that I want to continue on, we'll play it by ear. I'll probably let you guys know by the point that we do get later in the volumes. But with all that said, it is time. Let's finally jump into the first volume of Mushoku Tensei Jabba's Reincarnation. Kicking things off with the lead up to Rudy's first death. <laughs> now, this is 
this is something where when I was reading the volumes, I'm like already going, holy crap, there's so much in here to really talk about. Yes, originally in the anime, it does sprinkle here and there little tidbits about his life before his death. That's the one thing you can give Mushoku Tensei Jabba's reincarnation as a whole is how much it emphasizes on what he once was and what he became. But what I found was kind of lost with the anime adaptation was getting more into Rudy as a person and his academics. That was the thing that surprised me the most. When the novel series first opens up, yes, it talks about how he got kicked out of his house, how he walks out to the streets, how he gets hit by a truck, and then boom, he's in this new world. But what we don't really get is an emphasis on Rudy and what he once was, and yes, his prospects of his future now that he was kicked out. It talks about the fact that Rudy himself was an academic. Before he became bullied and became a shut-in, he was actually really smart. He was a kid that had high grades. It was only up until the point where he got into computers and got a little bit too geeky there and a little bit too lazy that a lot of his academics started fading away. So why this is important is, yes, we can kind of assume that he's just learning easier. It gets a little bit in that in the novel series and the idea that because he's so young that his brain absorbs things better. But it's not only that, it just kind of proves that Rudy himself, when he puts himself into it, He's really good at learning. So even though he doesn't give himself credit to that in his new life because he assumes it's because he's good at absorbing things as a small child, there's a little side of me that kind of believes it's because he's good at learning things. Again, when he was younger in his previous life, he was a well-studied student before he became a shut-in. So as I'm reading this, the thing that I start thinking about was his eagerness to learn magic, his eagerness to learn languages, all this stuff that he just kind of jumps into. He's like a bookworm in a sense. Yes, he's nerdy. Yes, he's pervy and all that kind of stuff. But deep inside, he's kind of good at learning things. And this was true in his previous life. Additionally, it talks a little bit about his prospects before he died. He was really suffering with, what am I gonna do now? Now that I'm kicked out of my home, I'm wearing nothing but sweats, I can't go into an interview like this. What am I gonna put on my resume? All these things that he's struggling with. Yes, he could probably take out a small loan so that he can get some good clothes, but he's really struggling with what is What's going forward? Like, what am I going to do now? And then this leads up to him first seeing the students on the side of the road before they're struck. And this is interesting as well because they get in a little bit about when he sees what the girl that they're fighting with, he starts thinking about his childhood friend and all this stuff about his relationship with her, how they had a fight and then they never kind of went to school together again. It was kind of an interesting little side bit. I'm not sure exactly how that'll translate to possible future stuff, but the, the encounter itself with the three students was interesting. Now this is a theory that I've been running with for quite a while with the anime adaptation. And that is the fact that with the whole encounter with these three students seems to indicate something. What we see with the anime adaptation was that one of the students was in the back of the ambulance. And the officer's radio was talking about there was two students that were missing. And my theory that I've been running with for quite a while is that those other two students got isekai'd as well. And this seems to be supported by my reading of the novel series as well. Because the emphasis that it gives with the novel series is that he rushes out there, grabs one of the boy's arm, pulls him behind him, and that was it. That's all that we get a context with in the novel series. We don't get the radio. We don't even get the lead up to him being pulled away by the ambulance. It doesn't get into how chunky he was and how he was heavy to pick up. None of that stuff was in the novel series. Only that he pulled this one student away, there was a light behind him. He felt like it was his life flashing before his eyes. 
and then he had the feeling of being basically <laughs> crushed. Nothing about the other two students, only this flash and then it's all over. So he's only able to save one of them. And it does make me question if there's gonna be something that's gonna be later on in the novel series that indicates that these other two students was missing or if this is something that because they knew this later on in the novel series, they came back and they kind of pushed that narrative into there that those other two students disappeared. I almost feel like it spoils things in the anime to know that if that turns out to be a thing, if that theory is correct, that these other two students were isekai as well. Or it could just mean that they seen this guy just and they decided to run away. Who knows? Moving on to Rudy's birth in this new world. Now, some of this stuff might have been kind of casually mentioned or whatever, and I might have missed it. So keep that in mind. But I did note the fact that how how much it went into the idea about where Rudy's mind ran with in this new world. Now, granted, I think in the anime, it mentioned the idea of how, how's this guy lifting me up? I weigh this much. This doesn't make any sense. It actually gets really into how Rudy himself thought that he was just had no limbs. He's like, well, I can't move my limbs, so they must be severed. I must have lost a lot of weight, and that's why this guy's lifting me up. What is going on here? Am I going to be crippled for the rest of my life? He was still in the mindset that he was in his previous life. But it doesn't take long before he really does connect the dots. And I felt that it was interesting to note that even at this point, he's already thinking about how he wants to have a new life. That he's going to do things differently from this point on. And this is something that I felt was heavily emphasized throughout these chapters, early chapters of this series, about how much he's already really pushing, I want to have a better life. I, I want to say I remember the first point that Rudy really does emphasize I'm going to do things right this time wasn't until I think his birthday. I think his fifth birthday. But yes, this leads into <laughs> the first big surprise that I had with this novel series, and that was getting different perspectives. Now, I heard from some people that this was going to be the case when I got into the novel series was that I'm going to start getting different perspectives of different characters. One that I was most excited about was getting to things like Eris' perspective. We never really get a sense of her inner thoughts and how she thinks. And that was one of the big things that I was excited about. Big shock to find out that the first case of this is going to be Lilia's perspective. I think they talked a little bit about Lilia's history when we got into her being kidnapped later in the first season. But yeah, in Lilia's chapter, we start to get a perspective of Lilia from pretty much a young age all the way up to this point. And that she was trained to be a maid that would be a guard, basically. Somebody that would protect children from being assassinated. And this was in the Azra Palace. So again, something that was actually talked about in the anime itself. At this location, she is essentially a guard for the harem of the palace itself. And additionally, she does help with the newborns. And the unfortunate thing that happens is that when an assassin is trying to kill one of these children, she finds herself injured. She doesn't evade an attack and a poison gets into her leg and it does affect her. They're able to cure it, but this permanently damages her to the point where she can't perform her duties anymore, and she ends up getting pretty much banished from the palace. Now, she does feel like she's being watched to see if she can serve as bait to whoever kind of assigned this assassination, but she kind of wants to get away from that stuff, get, to, get away from everything that's happening there, and that leads to her eventually finding the help wanted ad that Paul puts up for their new child coming, which she quickly jumps to because she actually knows Paul, which we knew this already with the anime adaptation, that they were both students of the same master at some point. And she, it goes in a thought process that she was actually, because she was looking for work, she was actually willing to use information, dirt on Paul against him in order to get the job. But it seemed like she was welcome with open arms. Obviously Paul trusting her and everything, and the fact that she has helped birth children before. So, it, it was kind of a shoe in And this gets into 
essentially how Lilia sees Rudy. Again, similar to the anime, she's seen Rudy as being possessed by a demon. And the reason why she thought this is because there was this one prince within the palace that everybody's seen as being possessed by a demon. He he walked around similar to Rudy and at one point even stabbed and killed somebody. Now it's interesting (laughs) kind of noting this whole scenario, talking about this child and how she was essentially drawing the parallels between the two of them, it does make you start to think, well, is this prince an isekai as well? The reason why he's running around the way he is is because he does have knowledge of his previous life similar to Rudy. But we'll have to see if that ends up turning to something. I'm not sure if she was talking about somebody that we end up getting introduced later on in the series, but we'll see. But what's really interesting is to find out that at some point, Lilia being so concerned about this child, Rudy, that she actually went to the village, used what money she had and bought a bunch of materials so that she could perform a banishing of the demon that was in Rudy, which obviously didn't work out, but she's always had this discomfort around him. And yes, this being because he always has his pervy face on him, but just how he doesn't act like normal children. And that's something that they get into quite a bit when you get into the mindset of characters like Paul, where they fear Rudy in a sense, because he doesn't act like normal children. He doesn't cry out in pain like normal babies do. Those are things that really throw them off. And yes, technically how Rudy talks to them. With that, we're we're already running long on this video already. So I guess first video, I'm covering the first two chapters of the first volume. I That was a lot of my notes was in those early segments. So we'll see where we go with going on forward. But hope you guys enjoyed my thoughts on the first two chapters of Bushiko Tensei Jobless Reincarnation. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can already feel it. That concludes this audio. I hope that you all enjoyed. As usual, we appreciate everybody that supports us through our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash spirit and supports our podcast by sharing out to other people. And definitely appreciate everybody that supports us through Patreon, through our merch site. All links can be found at otakuspirit.com. And with that said, you all take care.